Welcome to the Finding Sustainability podcast. This is Stefan Partolo, and today we have a unique but very useful episode. We have the opportunity to share the audio from a recent webinar about the current state of case study databases on commons and social ecological systems research, including the current state of their use, challenges for user engagement and comparative research, as well as directions forward and advice for researchers. The webinar was facilitated by the International Association for the Study of the Commons with the acronym IASC. The IASC is devoted to bringing together multidisciplinary researchers, practitioners, and policymakers for the purpose of improving governance and management, advancing understanding, and creating sustainable solutions for commons, common pool resources, or any other form of shared resource. The webinar was hosted by the current IASC president, Marco Janssen, who is also a professor in the School of Sustainability and the director of the Center for Behavior, Institutions, and the Environment at Arizona State University. And he was joined by numerous panelists, including Marty Anderes, who is a professor in the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University, by Ulrich Frey, a researcher at the Institute of Engineering and Thermodynamics at the German Space Agency, and Sergio Villamayor Tomas, a research fellow at the Institute of Environmental Science and Technology at the Autonomous University of Barcelona in Spain, and Graham Epstein, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Central Florida. If you are interested in finding out more information about the IASC or the webinar participants, you can find more information and the links to their websites in the show notes for the podcast. Welcome. We will go, uh, main, t- main reason to have this uh, event is to have a discussion on, among uh, you to see uh, whether we can have some more coordination among those who are working on uh, databases related to case studies. So I, the process that we propose is that we first go around to ask our panelists to introduce themselves, what they are working on, and then we will have another round where we will uh, look more about uh, the opportunities for the future. Then by that time, we will get more into an open discussion, including comments from the audience. So let's start with, with Ulrich. Okay, hi, my name is Ulrich Frey. I'm uh, from Germany. I have been working with databases uh, from the Ostrom workshop, namely the CPR, the NIIS, and the IFRI database for many years now. So I have plenty of experience with them. Um, I even uh, created in, a, in, in Halle, where I was working with uh, Insa Tiesfeld, a, there was an attempt to develop a, commons, uh, a common database for SES cases in general. And, um, it's it's working. It's it's a bit unfinished. So we are there with about ninety percent. So just to to mention that. Um, so I've also been uh, involved in a project to uh, try to integrate SES databases. So yeah, I think uh, that's about it. Uh, right now I'm working at the German Aerospace Center in renewable energies. Okay, Sergio. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning to everyone. Uh, I'm Sergio Villamayor. I'm based at the Environmental Science and Technology Institute, ICTA, at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. Uh, my first experience with the Commons databases or the workshop uh, like uh, databases was when I took a class uh, in the uh, in IFRI course to learn how to use the IFRI database. Um, 
But more recently, I've been actually working with Ulrich uh, with the NIIS database uh, to develop a sort of continuous measure of co-management and uh, mostly involved with Graham and Michael Cox as the lead um, building the Sesma database, um, working on a number of projects uh, that I hope I don't forget any, but maybe Graham can complete, including an exploration of large-scale social ecological systems through through which we coded uh, cases like the Rhine, the Mission Forests, or the Mekong case, but also developing an inventory of theories of environmental governance and an inventory of a variable for such ecological systems research. Okay, thank you, Sergio. Marty. Hello, everybody. Uh, Marty Andres from Arizona State University. Uh, I've been working with databases since about 2005 when I uh, was working with Lynn Ostrom to try to develop the robustness framework from the 2004 paper we published. Um, the idea being we wanted to develop a database that would enable researchers to compare qualitatively many cases to try to understand what features and characteristics of these systems conferred or detracted from their capacity to cope with change. We started with the CPR database, uh, which is now available in the SES library, and we hoped that we would use the uh, SES library is a teaching tool. Um, I teach a class at ASU, multiple classes at ASU where I use the database. Uh, part of the part of the assignment in the class is to pick a case, recode it, compare it to the original coding, and refine the case studies, and place each case study into the robustness framework so that researchers can quickly go and look at uh, look at each case in the robustness diagram. Uh, to quickly see what the main features are. Um, that aspiration uh, turned out to be quite a lofty one. Uh, 10 years, 15 years later, the database is there. It's clean. It's pretty robust. Uh, people are starting to use it very slowly. But uh, one learns just how difficult it is to maintain uh, these databases and encourage very, very busy scholars to contribute to the public good, essentially. I think these databases really are uh, a uh, a public good. The CPR database is certainly a public good that's a deep legacy of the Ostrom tradition, I think as is IFRI, although it's a little bit less of a public good the way it's set up. So uh, that's been my experience with these databases. They've been very helpful in doing qualitative analysis and producing theory and models, but I think we're at a real turning point here in, in terms of pooling our resources and our uh, uh, efforts to make them more accessible and more useful. Thank you, buddy. Graham. All right, uh, my name is Graham Epstein. I'm a postdoc at the University of Central Florida, uh, where I'm actually working on a project trying to synthesize uh, some of the approaches that we have, uh, so, so some of the research we've done over the past 10, 15, 20 years uh, on the commons using machine learning. Uh, but my introduction to databases was much like Sergio taking the free course. Uh, at Indiana University, learning about the database, what it can do, how we can use it to explore questions, uh, important research questions uh, in a large sample of cases. Uh, and then I was involved in the development and coding uh, for the SESMA database, uh, much like Sergio, looking at 
large-scale uh, environmental governance challenges, uh, such as uh, tuna, migratory tuna species, um, the Montreal Protocol. And then a, a second project came on uh, where I helped uh, contribute some coding and analysis uh, for participants at the Wildlife Conservation Society in Fiji, looking at small-scale periodically harvested closures. So we used uh, the SESMAD database to code and analyze, to identify some common patterns uh, among successful cases. And then there was a third project led by Natalie Ban uh, at the University of, uh, of Victoria, where she used the SESMAD database to code and again analyze uh, large-scale marine protected areas, synthesize some of the major features associated uh, with successful governance, analyze trade-offs across different outcomes, um, and so on. Uh, so yeah, so I've been involved in various capacities and simply using the data uh, that others have collected, but then contributing to the public good of uh, coding cases uh, for other projects. Okay, thank you all for the introduction. So we'll now go to a round where we will talk more about what you see the say the longer term vision uh, of, of of youth. Do we uh, go to do we stay having a kind of uh, all kind of separate databases or will there be more a uh, kind of uh, one overall database system or uh, uh, do we uh, stay with small databases or do we go to uh, big data um, thousands of cases um, so those will be all kind of possible outcomes so we would like to, I would like to go around to get an idea of what your visions are and and after we have this round we will have a more broader discussion and also, I see we have uh, quite a number of attendees. If they like to take part of the broader discussion, they can uh, uh, also ask questions that I will see uh, on my screen. I will then uh, share them with uh, the panelists. So, Uri, what's your uh, vision for the, the coming years related to development uh, of uh, the databases? Okay, uh, I, I think that um, just doing nothing, so let just uh, let the different small databases coexist somewhere in, uh, in some data silos is not the way to go forward. So I'm very happy that you organized this meeting. So I can, in fact, I can see two ways forward. And the one way forward is in, would be to, to like you said, to create one really big database um, where all the data is um, hosted, which in, uh, has some problems because you have to host it, you have to provide long-term support, and you have to um, converge basically on one structure. If you don't make it the, the if you don't make the table structure so abstract that everybody can enter his or her cases as he wishes. In fact, I'm involved in another project right now, which goes the exact opposite way, which is to, um, to try to decentralize it. Basically, every institution hosts his, uh, its um, databases, creates the data, cleans the data, but exposes it um, as a Maven repository to the internet. And then there is one common, uh, what we call data bus and it's it's a um, technology that's already out there it's from uh, a branch of wikipedia called um, dbpedia 
And this data bus just uh, is basically, it's a meta information repository collecting all the data collection, um, yeah, the, the, the locations of the, of the data bases and the meta information. And then you can go there, um, get the data, clean the data, put it back in a clean state and so on. So these are basically the two ways forward that I can see, the centralized version and the decentralized version. Thank you, uh, Ulrich. Uh, Sergio. Yeah, thanks also for organizing this uh, webinar. I hope uh, this is the start of a new momentum uh, to make these databases speak to each other. And actually, my comment is pretty much aligned along, uh, with what Ulrich said. I think a step forward would be to really enable the modular use of the databases. Um, and to do that, I think we need to, um, to create some sort of instrument that allows interoperability of the data. So we, I have the sense that, we have the sense that uh, the databases have very similar variables or variables that inform or measure similar variables, but we are not totally, totally sure which are those variables. So if we had a kind of foreign key instrument that will, would allow to integrate that data without the need to create a big database that could be maybe a, a step uh, forward. Also, I think that another step forward has to be also with what do we do with the existing data in those databases because uh, well, there are new cases that could be added um, and keep expanding those or at least updating the, the cases that many of these databases contain. And I also think that, uh, again, developing a sort of screening instrument that could allow case study developers to explore where their case studies could fit in the database without really having to dig very deep into the database or learn a lot about the database could help also to expand the databases or instruments that would allow quickly to have a grasp of, okay, which are the variables involved and which are the indicators that those variables are measured through. So that could be another step forward. Um, and I want to join here uh, Marty's words about using these databases for teaching purposes. I use it, says Marina, of course, on how to do SES case studies. The SESMAT has a promising but also very challenging feature, which is basically modeling case studies by identifying governance, actor, resource system, and unit components, and understanding how to build sort of the case and the boundaries around the case and those components. That makes the coding difficult, but at the same time, it's a very interesting exercise for any scholar who wants to get acquainted with the difficulties of creating a case study out of uh, a case. Um, so I would also like to see these databases to use more uh, for teaching purposes. I'm not sure how, but... Uh, okay, thank you, Sergio. Uh, Mardi? Yes, uh, I'd like to echo the um, thought so far. It's really a, a nice development that we're having this webinar and trying to move these uh, databases forward. I like although I don't understand the mechanics of what Ulrich said because I'm not a database specialist, uh, I think the basic gist uh, is for me that we somehow provide a meta database or some kind of meta tool 
that links the databases up so that a user who wants to be part of, for me, which is the most important thing here, is a community of practice around, let's call it, some kind of empirical qualitative analyses of uh, governance in complex systems. If uh, a person, a researcher, wants to be part of a, this community, this, this, this community of practice, they can go to a place and see what databases are out there, what's the same about them, what's different about them, what the intent was in, in the development. And of course, Michael Cox is leading a nice paper on that right now, which is a nice you know, leap off point to develop such a tool. Uh, as Ulrich said, each, each university, each department, each entity, each organization maintains its database and we have to find a mechanism to leverage the connections between those. Maybe it's the IASC. Maybe maybe there's a there's a uh, tab or a link on the uh, IASC webpage where it's the IASC ecosystem of CPR slash governance databases, and we go from there. Uh, one other thing that Ulrich mentioned that I've uh, experienced and I wanted to highlight is this issue of abstract data structures. Yes, we would all like maximum abstraction so that we have maximum gener generalizability and capacity to run empirical analyses, large N, whether it's some kind of QCA or other traditional regression type statistical methods. But I find that's very off-putting for most people who want to participate and share their case. So underlying the SCS library was a very open-ended uh, case definition. A case is just a collection of places descriptions, documents, but you, it can go further. It can go to uh, uh, more um, abstract data structures or models, but we have to allow really wide flexibility for what a case is and how we enter it in those databases if we want to grow them further. Yeah, I mean, so I, I definitely don't have much to say on the on the technical side of, you know, database implementation or so on, but I think there does need to be a little bit more focus on the human dimensions of these research projects. What is it that leads them uh, to be successful, to start off, to accumulate cases? Uh, but then most of these database projects tend to peter out or slow out, slow down uh, over a period of time. Maybe there's a periodic uptake of, we pick up a new, uh, a few more cases, but it seems to be a lot of these projects uh, are either driven by a group of highly motivated graduate students and early career scholars, uh, or alternatively are supported by funding, uh, which provides opportunities for uh, people to be involved in that. And so if that's the requirement, I think it'll be hard uh, to get a large number of cases from a large number of participants. So coding an assessment case, uh, I don't remember the exact number of variables, but it's over 200 variables. Uh, it took a lot of time, a lot of debate, uh, multiple, multiple months of, of reading, coding, meetings to ensure that we're coding consistently. Uh, and so an, a larger database project, I think, especially if it's voluntary, will need to consider, so why are people contributing uh, and what are some of the costs involved? If, if it's going to be a month to code uh, a case, it's probably not going to uh, accumulate a large number of cases. So anything to reduce the number of variables, uh, I think is really important and valuable, but then we need to go through a process of deciding which variables are important and not everyone's going to be satisfied. Um, and we also go back to Marty's comment about uh, getting uh, 
an abstract database or allowing for a lot of flexibility, I think there's a there's a tension there uh, as well. So IFRI, the IFRI database, one which I'm fairly well familiar, provides considerable flexibility for how you code a case. You can have any number of forests, any number of user groups, uh, and so on. But when people have taken this data to perform an empirical analysis, they typically aggregate at one level or another. So they will aggregate all the user groups uh, associated uh, with a forest. So at the end of the day, a lot of times we end up doing the aggregation uh, to perform our analysis as well. So the question is, what is the value of providing a ton of flexibility uh, when, we, when we turn to the analysis and we, we neglect uh, some of the, the diversity of these cases. It's very rare uh, that I've seen at least that there's a multi-level analysis. So looking at an outcome at the user group level as well as forest group level. So, uh, so sometimes I wonder whether the value is creating uh, challenges for people to use and understand the database, understand the data, and also understand the decisions that people make uh, when they perform an empirical analysis. So a lot of stuff treats institutions as a binary variable, local rulemaking, or so on. Well, what happens when you have one group uh, that uh, has authority, but another group does not? I mean, there's a variety of different options uh, for how you measure that. It could be a zero, maybe a 0.5, maybe a 0.1. Uh, but those are important decisions uh, that we have to make and it's hard uh, for everyone to understand the decisions uh, that people are made. I had to talk to a lot of people to understand what this one means uh, from the database. Thank you, Graham. So one mechanism which uh, could help to, uh, to get more consistency and also more entries to the data. If, uh, for example, journals uh, would uh, uh, require uh, certain standards of uh, archiving case studies, uh, documenting case studies. Well, we have here also a few people who are involved with journals. So, so that will be one. Uh, is that something that could help? And what would be such a standard look like? It's uh, so in ecology and society, uh, which I'm now uh, recently became the editor-in-chief with Lance Gunderson, we had the data uh, and code availability standards. I can, it's just implemented. I can see this is uh, pretty new for a lot of people because people seem not to know what to do with it. So also there, if we put in some standards or uh, requirements of documentation, you have to be a little bit flexible, but it could be something that may at least guide people to have some more consistent documentation of, and also what are we then expecting uh, that people uh, make, what kind of data do they make available, the options. So that could be one way to, not necessarily that it drives, uh, uh, get people not only that people may archive their, their work, but also stimulate a discussion about, so what are some of the minimum information that you would like to see uh, if people publish about a case study? So is that something that will be useful and what will that, what does that mean in a way? What, what, how do you see something like that? Uh, maybe I can start with 
Sergio, because you are involved with the International Journal of the Commons, so this I know that this has been an issue that has come up with uh, with the journal. Yeah, uh, thanks for bringing this issue. We've been thinking with uh, Michael Michael Cox to develop such a form and also trying to integrate it with the International Journal of the Commons. There, the sort of debate or issue is how, as you said, how detailed that form should be so it doesn't dissuade contributors to fill it in if we really want to to use it as a condition to publish in the journal. And uh, yeah, I think probably one way forward is to make it flexible enough so those who sort of want to feel they can feel it as much as they can or want. And I say can because sometimes, I mean, I think we are taking a pretty positivistic approach to case studies here, assuming that all the data from a case study can be synthesized into variables and move into that database. And as you know, there are very many different views of how to do a case study. Let's think about anthropologists or sociologists who like to think of case studies more as sort of spaces for reflection and very qualitative exploration of understandings and meanings. And sometimes they struggle to, to convert the knowledge generated in into variables and so on and so forth. So, mm. yeah, if we could develop a, a form that would also host uh, different sort of epistemologies around case studies, that would be a value. And then, um, yeah, so a sort of first level form could maybe encompass information that would allow us maybe to map the case studies or to say something about the problem at hand or the resource context and then at deeper levels we could get more information about variables or even theories that are tested and developed. So yes, that would be certainly a step forward. And ideally, I mean, I've been thinking about whether it would make a lot of sense to adopt it at the International Journal of the Commons or maybe try to create some momentum and adopt it simultaneously among a number of journals. So it could create some momentum around around it. Uh, but that would be maybe the next step. Okay, other reactions to this? Um, I, I think it, it depends on the purpose you have in mind. If you're just thinking about a kind of data repository, then I think that could be or should be implemented uh, very soon. It's, it's easily done. But if you're really thinking about uh, something, um, a common structure to force authors of very different papers into one common structure, then it's very hard to, to agree on, on uh, a common format. And that's, that would be my point to what, what Graham and, and Marty said beforehand um, about the, the, the level of abstractness and the number of variables and, and to agree on that, that's, that's really, and we all know that it's so hard that it, in the end you either say, okay, everybody keeps the variables he needs uh, or you make it so abstract that everybody can just put a field name and a value in it and, and uh, the, the rest is the, the querying of the database. So a more polycentric approach seemed to be uh, more 
doable uh, from, uh, as, as you, a number of you indicated that a more distributed approach, but some coordination in those individual databases. So, so I think that's, that is that something that seems to be the general consensus? Yeah. So, but then still we need to have something about the, the, the coordination. And uh, so, so I can say something about, I'm not that involved with uh, case studies, but, uh, but about the code availability for aging-based models. This has been a struggle too. Uh, but more and more um, papers now make that code available. It has been doubled in the last few years. And that's, that's one reason is that um, the norms have been changing because journals start to uh, required it, uh, and, and not enough journals, but a number of journals, often uh, more higher profile journals, even just uh, having a statement about where your um, information is, uh, that already help people to be uh, uh, more open uh, and that they think about where they can archive some of the work. Often people are not familiar where can they archive their work. So it's also providing information. If you have case studies, if the, if the, the Judge of Commons said, well, if we would like to see your archive in your work, and these are some places that we endorse, that will already be helpful. Uh, or these are some protocols that you could use for uh, sharing the the, the data um, and there might be some protocols for what are some of the recommended information I think you don't want to be too strict in a way that, so uh, we allow in our the model library we uh, have we allow people to say archive whatever they want but uh, if people require uh, ask for a, a review or a permanent uh, um, identifier, there are some conditions they have to meet. So in that way, you will have multiple levels of information. And so you allow a lot of variety, but if you want to get more recognition, you may have to meet certain standards. So there are something to be learned. I think it's maybe uh, there has been a longer history with uh, uh, and, and also broader discussion about archiving code. But um, I think there is something to, uh, uh, to, to, to have a relatively distributed, but have some coordination and providing information to others about what, uh, what are uh, recommended ways of archiving or documenting your work. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I think that there's, I actually really see value, although Sergio questions, there will be people that object uh, to coding a case that it's very problematic. And, and I don't, we don't want to discourage those people because they, they make really good contributions to our theory and our knowledge. Uh, but I also think there's a large group of people that would be comfortable uh, in answering a series of yes, no questions and answering questions about uh, large, medium, small, and to perhaps facilitate that 
uh, as part of the submission process. It, if you want to, if you object, then you object and that's, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to participate, uh, but we strongly encourage you to answer these 10 series of questions. And of course, including a, uh, a variable, a set, or a code that says, I don't know, or not applicable, uh, and so on. Because I think one of the things we, we lose when we do, so we get uh, consistency uh, when we do these secondary coding project because we have similar groups of coders doing things, but we also lose some of that strong case-based knowledge. I've been involved in coding case studies uh, and it is a significant challenge. And at the end of the day, the person who wrote the case study uh, will know more than me because they were, they were there in the field. They're aware of some of the nuances that don't come out uh, in a paper, but that nonetheless might be useful uh, for a different project. And actually one of the things that IFRI uh, did a really, really good job of is how they handle new cases. And so if you go out and you have a project, perhaps you code four or five cases uh, on a particular research topic or research question, that data is only available to you for two years. It, it, it's not shared to the broader group for two years. So if you wanna go, if you have a series of publications you wanna do, you, you don't have to go make that available to everyone uh, immediately. But once that two year moratorium hits, uh, then it becomes shared and part of the broader distribution. And I think that that's something uh, to consider as well, is that we do want to contribute to the public good, but there's a private aspect uh, to this as well. And so perhaps mechanisms that allow that uh, to be in place as well. So people aren't being taken advantage of um, as part of this process. Any responses to that? So I would like to see whether there are any questions from the audience. So. Uh, I know we have a number of distinguished people in the in the audience. I can see their names. So, um, if you have questions, you can type in the questions. One one issue that um, at least I have been raising um, in our group because we could I could imagine that there will be databases um, that really goes to kind of big data. So, so that's, uh, okay, I see here a question. So, so any advice to folks who want to start a new database of case studies, for example, a database of uh, pastoralist data comments? So what will be a, yeah, Marty, you have. <clears throat> yeah, my comment is don't start one, use one of the existing databases and add to them. All the data structures are there. Uh, and if you, if you use the database as well, we should be able to link all pastoralist cases. For example, in the CPR database, originally there are probably, it's dominated by irrigation cases, but there are probably at least 10 or 20 pastoralist cases. Uh, if you want to add to those cases, you could do so on any number of databases that we've talked about today. Uh, the SES library, for example, is very unrestricted. Uh, in fact, you can also set up user groups on the uh, SES library as well, uh, whereby a, a set of users is developing a database and that database is hidden from public view until the group wants to make it available. So you can use it as a collaborative platform as well. I will admit that doing that in a, in a systematic way and a really user-friendly way is really challenging. Uh, uh, you know, big data companies are very good at this, and there's a reason that that uh, 
people who work for those companies get paid a lot more than we do in academia. It's because those skills are highly, highly uh, useful and it's very expensive to try to maintain that, maintain those kinds of platforms. But on the other hand, you know, we can, we cobble things together. They work reasonably well. But if I were in your shoes as a researcher, the last thing I'd want to do is try to develop a new database. Yeah. And uh, so if you go to the ISC uh, website, the, the, the website, the uh, International Association of Commons, and there is a uh, tab on resources. And in that, um, on that page, you will see a number of uh, databases, including the SES library, uh, the IFPRI, uh, IFRI uh, uh, database, uh, database that Ulrich mentioned. Um, so, so yeah, so that's in a way, uh, 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 there are a number of existing databases. I, I just pasted a link to the 90% finished database. Uh, so. So you can get an idea how an, uh, a web interface could look like. So some things are, are not working. Obviously, you have to be locked in. But if you click on overview, for example, I think uh, on overview and yeah, then you click on variables and then you, for example, enter a search term like house, household or something like in it. And you can see that uh, the variables are filtered in real time. and, and so. It's yeah. just what. Yeah. So now we we have a just a list of a few databases, but I would like to on our ISC website. But I would like to see this become more mature and provide some kind of introduction about so how to start coding or something like that. Still, I hope that uh, that uh, some of you could uh, uh, could also contribute to that, so that it will be. At least a starting point for some coordination uh, that provides some kind of best practices and, and also uh, yeah what, what are places that and what are the differences between the different uh, databases uh, uh, that might there are some general uh, databases too um, like the uh, uh, the international what was it the Open Science Framework is uh, also a uh, uh, good place uh, to archive your work. Um, it's not specifically for, for what we are doing, but one of the challenges that uh, we may have is that uh, uh, maintaining uh, the, the, the software of, of all of this. And that, that's one reason why you don't want to start something from scratch. So another comments I would have too is I mean so we specifically mentioning pastoral cases. I think one of the great things of the SESMAP database is you can add variables at will. Uh, so for the original project, we had our our fixed set of variables, but then we looked at large scale marine protected areas, and we added a, a set of variables that applied only uh, to those cases. And the same thing for the small scale uh, periodically har harvested closures. So there were some variables that were not in the database, or at least if they were, they weren't as specific as, as what we wanted to measure. Uh, so you could, it really provide, it does provide flexibility there. And there's where flexibility is great within a particular project is you can get perhaps more detail. So perhaps you have group size as a continuous variable. You can create your own group size variable. And then you could also decide whether you think you can also code 
the categorical or the or the ordinal variable that's in the database, like small, medium, large. Uh, but it does have a lot of flexibility for you to uh, code variables that are relevant to your particular uh, population of cases. So I see we are getting some uh, uh, people uh, advertising for the data, <laughs> which is which is good. So, uh, so I think that's something uh, I will follow up with, with you to to get some more information about getting a on on the ISC website about uh, uh, some basic questions for those who are kind of more more new to to this about what would be good starting points and why how, how are these different databases uh, uh, how they differ. So another question uh, that I see on my uh, uh, Q&A is how to design a database that uh, to evolve as media and data types evolve. Should we include uh, rich files types like photos, videos, and in future video reality renderings? Yeah, let's see what Marty has uh, something to say about that. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I, I would say unequivocally yes. Uh, our original conceptualization of the SES library was to to allow that kind of rich variable data. But uh, I just wanted to make a comment uh, going back to the previous question is uh, if your intent is to create a community of practice and a collaborative platform, that's one <coughs> database and many of the databases we've been discussing enable that. But if you're doing a you're doing an analysis, say you're anal analyzing a 50 cases and you've got a team of 10 people, MySQL, I mean, there's no, there's no good answer. I mean, if you're a team, you don't want to be using one of these things we're talking about, I think, and my colleagues can, can, uh, can comment further. The, the, the SES library or the other, the other databases are places where you'd archive your analysis afterwards so that others could see what you did and maybe replicate it not using it as a place to work with your data, your primary data. And I'm seeing people shaking their heads, so that's a good thing. So there's other kinds of rich data. Uh, I have a wonderful colleague uh, here, Kim Hill, who's a world-class ethnographer. He studies the Aceh, studied the Aceh. And he's got these incredible videos of him with the Aceh in the forest talking about resource management and hunting practices and things like that. Those are very valuable kinds of data sources that would be wonderful to have on these uh, databases we've described. But again, I, I just want to go back to my earlier comment about just how hard that is to archive and maintain. Huge challenge. So we would have to, again, think in terms, we have to practice what we preach. You know, we're all part of the commons, uh, the International Association for the Study of the Commons. We have to work as a community to contribute to the, to the public good in some way. So I think that will be a critical thing going forward. Henry Hatt is handsome. Uh, hands yeah. yeah, I wanted to, to comment on... on um all the, the 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 comments again so it looks for me it looks like that we when we all think of our databases and and variables and, and if you're thinking about creating new variables then i think that reminds us that our task can only be to provide a conceptualization for those databases so like you have a new variable and you you don't like our variables or the the, the variables in the database x x y z then by all means keep your question and your um, ordinal or whatever you, you code your data into. Um, but I think what we have to do is to say, okay, this is a question about group size or this is a question about um, social capital or whatever. 
So we pro we provide the the, con the concepts, and they of course have to. I think the best choice would be the SCS framework, of course, and and that could be the link to link all those databases together. So then I can look in all those maybe decentralized databases with all different structures and different um, 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 technical like videos or whatever. As long as the video is tagged as this is about group size, then I can find it and I can compare it with other cases in other databases that have the same tag about group size. Okay. Very quickly, I mean, that, one thing is the raw data, and I, I think different thing is how you code raw data. And in the end, uh, you may be willing to store raw data, call it a video, a transcript, uh, a paper, uh, but then you need to code it. And then you need to code it uh, in a sort of interoperable uh, sort of numbers or, or, or wherever. And, and so I think those are two different things. There are software that allow you to code videos, transcripts, newspapers. I'm thinking about in vivo, which I've used quite frequently. But uh, I guess we are mostly interested in what to do with the data that results from that coding. Uh, and related to the first question, maybe if I, if I may give a piece of advice that is related to a comment from Graham before is that and also from Marty, is that um, not try to, so it's very tempting once you have access to all these databases and see all the questions you could ask to the cases to integrate many of those questions. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to lose track of what your research question is and whether you have any hypothesis you want to test. So sometimes it's maybe better to play simple and have a small database that still is speaks to all the other databases maybe because you've used questions from those data those databases than created than trying to code a number of cases by looking at all the questions that are in those databases so in other words if i had to create a new database now for analytical purposes i would try to bear in mind very strictly what my research questions are and, and try to formulate ex ante what my hypotheses are and which variables I'm really interested in because sometimes we end up coding cases by looking at 20, 30 variables and then in the papers we end up using five or seven of those variables. So a question from uh, Lance Robinson is, uh, are some of those existing libraries and databases more appropriate for sharing Primarily qualitative cases. So I, 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 yeah, I guess most of the data is pretty qualitative, but it, then you use a coding structure to make it, in a way, put numbers or yeah, to code it into something you can do analysis on. But are are there differences between the different libraries uh, uh, about how to deal with qualitative work? I know uh, with respect to SESMAT that we do have a lot of uh, text fields and the text fields serve two purposes. Uh, the first purpose is to justify your coding, to indicate, you know, why are you saying this is a small, medium or large group? What are the criteria you're using? Uh, how good is the evidence? So there's the justification type variable, but then there also are just like open text fields to describe uh, the case. Not, we don't often use it uh, to describe a variable. There aren't 
a bunch of text fields that are uh, more just descriptive, uh, but it could be added uh, for a particular case. So if you're talking about social capital and you had quotes uh, from groups that pertain to social capital, uh, you could enter that data uh, into a text field, uh, for example. Well, I, I, I see a uh, question, uh, well, I'm not sure whether it's a question. I think it's more also an opinion of Jacobus that it still think that it might be possible to find a minimum set of kind of variables that are likely in all cases. Um, I think this this goes back to more getting into a polycentric uh, case. I, I, I think I would urge, uh, and I will follow up on that, I will not do that myself, but I will urge you to do that and we can share it with uh, within the uh, spot of the ISC is to to get a kind of uh, uh, if you want to start working on cases uh, or uh, make an analysis of various cases what do you do what are best practices and I think that's some of the instead of writing another article having some place where there are some uh, more kind of tutorial or uh, practical tips might be I think very valuable for uh, people who are uh, yeah who are starting in this uh, in, in this program Yamati you have uh, you had you want something to say uh, two attributes of the SES library that facilitate the qualitative case study database development is one related case studies and models two this text field that Graham was mentioning. There is no, there are no variables associated with the SES library. It's a library. It does have resources. It does have the CPR databases there. The IFRI, the, the NIIS is there. Not the IFRI, but the NIIS is there uh, as well. You can get those databases. You can search them, whatever you want to do. So it has the capacity to be a repository. It's more of a repository. It's sort of GitHub for social ecological system scholars. So if you have a case set of case studies, there's what we call institutional analysis. I think most of us are institutionalists in some way. We're interested in how institutions, rules, and norms structure how humans make decisions, interact with each other in the environment. So it's structured around ostromology in a loose way, but it's completely open. So you can choose uh, what you want to do there. So as Graham says, the key is using those text fields in a creative way within your research community. Yeah. So... Uh, and a new question of Lance Robinson. I, I agree that that journals such as International Journal of the Commons, but also Ecology and Society. So at least two journals we can, uh, uh, you know, given that we have kind of uh, control over uh, from an editorial perspective on on uh, on, on uh, we are gatekeepers. Uh, we can uh, um, change some of the expectations. Uh, but I think it will be good to realize that a lot of people might not be on the same page as us. And so we cannot just require it, but by having people to write down something about availability, if they use a case study, uh, have some questions about it, that may start changing some of the norms. Um, so... That's, I go back to the availability of codes um, uh, with computational work. Um, 10 years ago, nobody was doing that. There were also not really good tools available. Now, um, reviewers require it, journals require it, and uh, 
and then um, sponsors require it, although it's not, not enforced that much, but it norms start changing and that uh, the kind of the younger generation, they get familiar with, uh, if you do this kind of work, you are making your code available. Uh, if it is, especially if it is, uh, well, if it is published in academic journal, that's what you're expected to do. Um, my experience with experimental work, uh, my first paper was rejected outright because I did not have the protocol made available, which I was not aware that that was a norm, but I quickly uh, learned that norm. So with experimental work, if you don't provide uh, the protocol of your experiment, you cannot publish. Uh, that's a norm in the community. And I think it's a change of norms, but journals, and also educators uh, play an important role to uh, change that norm. And so that might not be directly with requiring it, but at least by setting some expectations if you want to publish in journals. Um, not just, I think a, a strong incentive today for any case study developer is to, to get involved in or participate in or fill these protocols is to give visibility to the case studies uh, also. Um, I mean, meta-analyses are growing in number uh, uh, day after day. And um, in my view, if these cases are well uh, sort of uh, stored and we have metadata about them, uh, it's more likely that these cases are included in meta-analyses and therefore cited. Um, so that, I think that that's an strong incentive, and also I assume journals, International Journal of the Commons, Ecology and Society, can also use that metadata every now and then to publish, um, I don't know, basic statistics, uh, citing those cases and profiling those cases. So I think that would be an incentive. Graham, you also wanted to say something. Yeah, so I mean, I just think there's a few, I mean, a few other issues just to, to, to think about is just worrying about potential people who are quantitatively oriented, free riding on the contributions of people who are primarily uh, doing case studies. So what are your rights if you contribute this data? Do you have any rights uh, to future work uh, related to? I don't think, it's not a serious issue, but it is something to, to consider is that I do know a lot of us, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be able to do our work if, if people weren't out there doing case studies and it's important to acknowledge that. But I also, I really like Lance's point about just trying to limit variables uh, to 10 to 20 rather than uh, 200. I think that that is, makes sense. I think our, we're, we're in a field where we emphasize complexity and I think in all of our work, we tend to, favor inclusion, where there's some debate over should we include or not include a variable, we tend to move towards inclusion. Uh, and then that creates longer term challenges about getting additional cases. And I, even if the, ten, the initial variables are not the perfect set, uh, at least starting off with a small set and then identifying problems and expanding from there would be a great idea. Yeah, and yeah, the, the issue about uh, uh, recognition is that uh, we spent in our uh, uh, modeling archives a lot about uh, that that people get a permanent identifier and it's a citable object and uh, 
So I don't think that the current databases that you are working with have that because you have to meet certain conditions before your database can get permanent identifiers. Um, like uh, that you have some plan to make your data uh, available in the long term. So you have to have some guarantees that you can uh, make. So, but that, that will be something uh, to consider in terms of uh, uh, getting to what's uh, citable. And that's why you, uh, a platform like the Open Science Framework is, um, um, it might be also an option for people because there they are dealing with those issues. You get a DOI for your uh, data. So uh, we are getting close to 10 o'clock. Um, I, I would suggest I will um, start a, uh, uh, a Google Doc where I invite uh, you to uh, uh, make a contribution uh, for uh, addressing some questions. I would like to get a kind of a, uh, an introduction uh, for those who are uh, new to this and what to do, what uh, some of the, uh, practical tips and that we can put on a, as a page on the ISC website. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can find us on Twitter or on our website if you're interested in sharing or further engaging with the content or requesting guests. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play, and it can also be streamed from our website. This podcast is part of a larger project called the Environmental Social Science Network, www.essnetwork.net. On the website, you will find further resources, and we welcome those interested in becoming involved or hosting their own projects on the site to contact us.